You are listening to the Awaken Natchitoches podcast. Awaken Church is a diverse community of authentic love and hope where you can belong as you change and change as you follow Jesus. As we prepare to go back to school or whatever, <laughs> we're kind of in the process of trying to figure out what back school is going to be like in 2020 with uh, the COVID pandemic going on and all those kind of things happening. I was thinking a lot about school and, and uh, the time I spent actually a whole school year, pretty much a whole school year, substitute teaching. And I, uh, I actually went to one school where they brought me on to substitute every day. And so I was substituting probably a different class every day for at least the last half of the school year. I was there every single day. And I got to know a lot of the kids well. And one of the young men, uh, teenagers in the class uh, in, in this school that I got to, got to know was named Stethan. And I remember his name, uh, one, because his name is close to my name. My name's Stephen. His name's Stethan. But also, I... Uh, he stood. He stood out because he was, for lack of a better word, a troublemaker. And I'm not trying to be judgmental or anything, but but he just was one of those guys. And um, he was cutting up in the first class I ever subbed uh, subbed for that he was in. He uh, kind of went back and forth with a lot of things, and I just said, "Look, you don't have to do the work. It's on you. I will. My job is to give you the assignment." And to leave a report for the teacher. And if you don't do the work, that's on you. I'm going to leave a report that you decided you didn't want to do it. And that's that'll be on you. It's not on me. I, my job is done. And he said, what if I just get up and walk out of the class? I said, again, I'm whatever. He said, you don't care if I walk out? And I said, I do care, but I'm not going to stop you. And if you go out in the hallway and you get caught, you get detention or, or suspension for being out in the hallway without a hall pass, know that Mr. Nelson did not give you permission. You just got up and left, okay? that So, over the course of several times of, of being subbing in Stethan's classes, um, I guess he learned. He 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 grew to respect me and like me, and uh, because when it came time for his birthday party, he came to me and he said, "Hey, I don't. I'm not inviting any adults to my birthday party." <laughs> Uh, especially any teachers, but you're different than everybody else. And I would really uh, just want to invite you to come to my birthday party. And I was like, immediately like, wow, this is huge that this young, going to be 16 year old is going to invite me to his birthday party. And he said, but I got to let you know that there's going to be alcohol there. And, uh, and so I'm like, you know, after a, a couple of days of praying about it, thinking about it, and actually seeking some wise counsel. I just, I got him a birthday card, and, and I told him, I'm like, hey, um, thank you so much for the invitation. It means the world to me that you would invite me to your birthday party, but I, I can't be at a birthday party where there's underage drinking taking place, and, and um, so so I'm just not going to, I'm not going to be able to make it, but man, I hope you have a great birthday, and I do want to want you to know I feel honored i feel amazing that you would invite me i believe everybody loves an invitation even when it's to something you would never go to how does it feel being invited i mean how does it make you feel to be invited to, to something i think you know you could say it makes you feel wanted it makes you feel loved it makes you feel included i think everybody loves an invitation well, today we're wrapping up our series, So Now What? So so now I'm a Christian, so now what? And we've been discussing what it means to follow Jesus, specifically in 2020. With so much changing every day in our world, what does it look like to be a Christian? Well, Jesus gives us a pretty clear answer on that, and we've been using this Mark 12, 29-31 as our theme throughout the last month of sermons 
uh, for this series. So now what? And in Mark 12, a teacher of Scripture, a teacher of the law, uh, the Torah, comes and wants, wants to know from Jesus, what do you consider the most important commandment? What's well, the most important one? So Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy and Leviticus when he says in uh, Mark 12, 29, the most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. So we've been talking about how do we love God with all our heart? Well, we have to develop a heart of worship. Uh, how do we love God with all our, sh- all, our all our mind? Well, you know, the the the, the earliest writers of the of Scripture uh, say we have the mind of Christ, and we have the Holy Spirit of God within us. We have the mind of Christ. So we develop uh, an ability to love God with all our mind. We love God with all our strength, and we use our hands. Last week, and our hands will get dirty and messy. So our heart has to be engaged, our head is engaged, and our hands are engaged, and then we want to continue to love God with everything about us. That's our soul. Our soul is our innermost part of who we are, and do that in such a way that we really love our neighbor as ourselves. So so now what? How do we do that? How do we become more like Jesus? Well, today we're going to be in Romans chapter 10, and we're going to look at a passage that will help us break this down to take it to kind of the next step for us, and we look at I'm a Christian, so now what? Romans 10, verse 9 through 15. And uh, this is a letter written by Paul, who was one of the earliest Christians, writing to some of the earliest Christians, living in the heart of the Roman Empire. And Paul wrote this letter because he has this deep desire to see people come to, to know Jesus and to love Jesus and to follow him. And so beginning of verse 9 of Romans 10, he writes, we read, If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. As the scripture tells us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, How beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. So here's our big idea for our time together. Loving your neighbor as yourself is an invitation to Jesus. Loving your neighbor, and when we say love your neighbor, it's not just saying, I love my neighbor. It is actually loving your neighbor. It's putting it into action. Love is a verb, and we are to be the verb, love. Loving your neighbor as yourself is an invitation to Jesus. So in order to love your neighbor, the first thing we have to do is examine your world. If you're going to love your neighbor, you have to examine your world. Now, when we first moved to Natchitoches to plant Awaken Church, there was I, I went through a major examination of culture. I've got charts, I've got graphs, I've got reports, I've got census, I've got um, all the all the demographics, I've got some reports uh, really in depth, reports done um, from from uh, four years ago, or actually from five years ago when we were preparing to to move and make the plant uh, that we moved four years ago to do to, to, to move to Natchitoches, and that major examination of the culture of the of the city of the community has gone even deeper. It's an ongoing examination of my world. The focus on 
families in the in the area in the in the town in the in the area of Natchitoches, Louisiana, and especially college students, because Northwestern State University (NSU) is probably the uh, economic driver of this community, and so that's a big part of my world. This is my world. So, what is the culture of your world like? In a sense, we're all part of the same world, but in our unique experience, it's different from person to person, right? We all have this same world that we're in, but we have a different experience from person to person. We all have our own kind of view of the world. So Paul knew his world really well. And a key to loving my neighbor is understanding the world that we find ourselves sharing. So sociologists today have defined kind of three distinctive eras pertaining to how we have shared information, interpreted information, kind of three distinctive eras pertaining to beliefs and truth and how beliefs and truth were understood and shared. The first one of those eras is called postmodern or sorry, pre-modernism. And in pre-modernism, we could say it's we could date it from the time the Bible was written, so we'll say from about the 1st century AD up to the 1500s is this whole era called we call now pre-modernism. This was an era of kings and emperors and lords and bishops, and truth was based on authority. You didn't question authority because authority knew better than you, and, and probably authority were more educated than you. This is all the way up to the 1500s. This is why we see that during this time of history, you know, a king would worship a particular god or, or take on a particular re- religion, and his subjects would follow suit. Like, like the whole nation would become that kind of religion. Because truth was based on authority. You knew something was true because somebody of authority told you it was true. But then we entered into this this era called modernism, or a lot of sociologists will call it modernity, and it starts around the 16th century uh, to approximately the 1980s. And we're still, I, you know, we're still kind of living in the transition of this, so you can't say modernity has completely gone. Um, but for, but through the 1980s, uh, this definitely you can you can see it because the events that led to modernism was the rise of science, the invention of the printing press, the Protestant Reformation. And in modernism, truth is based on reason. So not so much because somebody of authority told me it's true, but because I reasoned it out that I that I that I decided that it was true. And it's very book focused. Literacy rates increased through modernity. The primary ways to communicate were the written page through through modernism. And so then we get to the third era, which is the era we now live in. It's called postmodernism. And it's difficult to date, but most sociologists think it started in the 1980s. Postmoderns are no longer confident that reason leads to truth. And definitely, when it comes to authority, there's a uh, suspicious nature that everyone has a hidden agenda. I mean, we don't, you know, in, po- in the postmodern world, uh, the authority can't tell you it's true, and reason doesn't even tell you it's true anymore. In the postmodern world, the focus is on the individual and the belief that there's no absolute truth. That's kind of the what postmodern era kind of at the, at the ground found uh, foundation of it. Well, there's no absolute truth. So it's not that reason leads you to truth or that authority leads you to truth. It's like, well, there is no absolute truth. Then the postmodern culture you have a truth and I have a truth. And the, the idea is, well, what's true for you is true for you. What's true for me is true for me. And cultures are blended and the internet and digital technology are the primary way of communication. And there's a huge en- emphasis on tolerance. And what we're finding is in 2020, this isn't working for us. 
We're finding that the idea that there's no absolute truth, and if something's true for you, but it doesn't have to be true for me, and something's true for me, it doesn't have to be true for you, is not working. If we're paying attention, we're finding that there's a lot of offensive things that people believe and people hold to and actions that people take that are not okay because there is an absolute truth that some of these things are not okay. So we live in the transition of modernity and postmodernism where many of us process information and truth based on reason but emerging generations really more than ever embrace postmodern assumptions so for many it's all they know and i mean i think from my kids the postmodern world in the way of, of processing truth is all that they know and this has enormous implications on how we share our faith that Jesus is the Lord, that Jesus is Messiah, has enormous implications for us as, as church, as Christians. So now what? This church word called outreach. Outreach is no longer about conquest, but about serving. And when I talk about conquest, I'm talking about in modernism, churches often speak of, like, we're going to take this city for God. We're, um, we're talking about winning souls. And those are that's the language that I'm not mad about, and I'm not trying to, like, say we can't use that language. But that language immediately turns people off. When it sounds like conquest, when it sounds like you're trying to you're trying to you're trying to you know take away everything that I know and believe and force me to believe something you believe, which isn't true, but that's what it, that's in a postmodern world way it sounds. It's outreach today must be very service and oriented. Instead of winning souls, you need to talk about saving souls or, or serving souls. Instead of you know taking the city for God, we need, to, we need to use language that is serving this city for God. Outreach is also no longer program-based, but relationship-based. So a program-based method worked pretty well when most people knew about Jesus, when most people believed in a creator, um, when most people were familiar at least a little bit with the Bible. Even if they didn't know Jesus, they knew about Jesus. But we can no longer make those assumptions. Postmoderns assume everyone has a hidden agenda. So this is why successful outreach today must be relationship-based. If someone really knows you, they will open themselves up to trust you. They're most likely to anyway. No one wants to be a project. No one wants to be like, oh, they have a program. They're trying to program for me. But build a relationship. An authentic relationship. Reaching others with the love of Jesus today, it's entirely different than it was just a few years ago. Because the world is entirely different than it was just a few years ago. Outreach events, I say still important, and we'll continue we'll continue to, to, to do those as we can and, and and again things are changing every day in our world and our culture and how we do what we do. But events have to be just a part of the process. And includes, and based on, a follower of Jesus building authentic relationships with those who are far from God. A number of years ago, Tom Rainer, who is uh, president and CEO of Lifeway Christian Resources, he's written a lot of books, um, says this, we, reach, we only reach one person for Christ every year for every 85 church members in the U.S., one of the key reasons is that Christians in America are members of churches that do not reach the unchurched. So think about, is, is our church reaching the unchurched? And what does that mean? How does it look? Because we need to examine our world and then exhibit a do-unto-others lifestyle. First, you examine your world, your culture, your sphere of influence, your city, your community, your family, your uh, campus, 
And then we have to exhibit a do-unto-others lifestyle. Now, what is that, a do-unto-others lifestyle? Well, it's based on uh, Jesus, which with Jesus being the subject, we, sh- we, should plan- we should base everything on Jesus, right? So it's based on the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus' famous sermon. It's Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. We, we refer to it often. I encourage you to read it regularly. I try to read it uh, on a regular basis just to, just to live this kind of this out. Um, in the Sermon on the Mount, there's a, there's a phrase in there that's, that we've come to call the golden rule. Jesus says, this is the way to do it. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It's Matthew seven twelve. Treat others the way you want to be treated. Do for others as you would have them do for you. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And Jesus says, this is the way you do it. So now what? Jesus says, this is the essence. The essence of all that is taught in the Torah and the prophets. He says, so what he's saying is, essentially, if you were to take the entire Torah, the entire law, the, uh, the, the entire Old Testament, the law and the prophets, essentially what, they, what it says is this. Do to others as you would have them do to yourself. In other words, love your neighbor as yourself. So how do you do it? How do you put the golden rule into practice? Our passage today in Romans says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, regardless of any of the ways we see ourselves divided. I don't know if you caught that, but he says, uh, whether you're Jew or Gentile. And for us to take that and to understand it in our culture today, in our today uh, world, regardless of all the ways we see ourselves divided, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Your skin color, your your nationality, your gender, your who who your who your 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 family is, or who your ancestors were, um, everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is what we call good news, and it is for us to receive and to deliver to everyone. With an understanding of how postmoderns think and feel, do unto others become central to reaching others for the love of Christ, which we shouldn't have to come back and go, we've got to make this central, because it should have been central all along. Do unto others becomes the central part of following Jesus. So this means we must truly care about people. Not just say we care about people, but truly, with authentic care, care about people. Now, in my experience, and this is just my experience, and I want to try and just be as straight as possible about this, there's many folks in churches that don't really care about non-Christians, specifically people they don't know. Now, I understand because I've, I've been in these churches. I, I've, I've, I've been on staff at some churches where there's some people in, the, in that congregation or in that church makeup that... that they say, oh, of course we care about the lost. Of course we care about unchurched. And of course we care about people who are far from God. But they don't show it. I've even been, gone so far as to hear people say, we don't need that element here. We don't want those people here. I've heard that in churches that I've been on staff at. And I'm saying, saying that we care about lost people and those far from God and actually caring about them is sometimes worlds apart. And it's time for us to be the people of God who truly care about people, whoever they are. Now, my, my unchurched friends, and yes, I do have people that aren't part of the church, um, they, they know that I love them, and, I, but, and they know something about me. They know that I would love more than anything else would be for them to have a relationship with Jesus and for them to be a part of a church. You know, especially the church I pastor. They know that. But they also know my friendship is not conditional on that. 
And for some of my friends, once they've realized that my friendship is without strings, that whether they ever believe in Jesus or whether they ever come to church, they know there's no strings. So they begin to open up with questions about faith. When you have a friendship with somebody and they see your faith and they know your faith and you have a relationship where they trust you, they will bring up the questions many times. Do unto others also means we must pray for people. So we have to truly care about people and we must pray for people. At the very beginning of Romans 10, we picked up, actually before we picked up reading, Paul says, I'm praying for my fellow countrymen to be saved. And he was his fellow countryman. He he's a Jewish man. He's a Roman citizen. He's saying, I, you know, my Jewish my Jewish uh, nation, my Roman Empire uh, citizens. I'm praying for my fellow countrymen to be saved. We must rediscover the power of prayer. Pray specifically for family members and friends who are unchurched, but also those that you don't know. Pray for opportunities to build relationships with those you don't know. And pray for an awakening in God's church to the must that we be the hands and feet of Jesus to the families in our community. In Luke 10, too, Jesus says, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. <laughs> oh, <laughs> ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Uh, probably every church planter, and I would say probably every pastor on some level, ha- feel, has felt this or feels this. I know I certainly do. The harvest is plentiful. 2020 has got people all over the place with emotions, with the feelings. People are feeling lost and wondering where to turn and what to do. There's a lot of there, there, there's a lot of hopelessness. There's a lot of fear. There's a lot of anger. There's a lot of, in some cases, there's some apathy that's out here. And Jesus says, this is, this is the harvest field. And it's plentiful. But the workers are few. So I pray, I pray for the Lord of the harvest to send out workers to the harvest field. I pray that you continue to give me strength to do what I can do. But I pray, Lord, Lord, we need workers to go into the harvest field. So when we care about who Jesus cares about, it shows in our actions. It shows in our attitudes. It'll show in our prayer when we care about who Jesus cares about. So evangelism, that's that big word, <laughs> that big church word for really telling others showing others, reaching others with this gospel, this good news that Jesus loves you and he wants more than anything to have a relationship with you for now and forever. Evangelism today, it's much more relational than in days past. And this can be scary. I I understand that. But it's the way to be about what God's calling us to. Church, it may be a little scary. You may step way out of your comfort zone, but it is the way to be about what God's calling us to. And what is he calling us to? to extend an invitation. He's calling us to extend an invitation. Now, we moved into our new home, and right now we're holding our worship gatherings in the living room in our very home. Four years ago, we moved here into our home in Natchitoches, and about two or three days after we had got moved in, our next-door neighbor comes over, the sweet little old lady whose uh, her skin tone is way darker than mine, comes over, knocks on the door, and I open the door, and she said, I just want to introduce myself, told me who she was, said, I'm your next door neighbor, and I wanted to bring you this gift, it was a little little tin of homemade peanut brittle, so good, and said, I want to welcome you to the neighborhood, and if you don't already have a church, I want to invite you to church, man, I just lit up, 
I just lit up because here was the first time this this I'm meeting my neighbor and she's extending an invitation to church and it opened up an opportunity for me the very time first time I'm meeting her to to tell her who I am. I am a pastor and I'm here I'm, I'm a church planter. We just moved to Natchitoches specifically to plant a church, Awaken Church. And so we got in this conversation, and so now we 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 are uh, not just neighbors, but we're church family. <laughs> and the thing was, she didn't just come with a message. Welcome to the neighborhood. She didn't just come with a message. I want to invite you to church. She didn't just deliver a message. She was the message. And as for us, we we don't simply deliver the message that Jesus loves you. We are the message. We don't just extend an invitation. We are the invitation. Now, what do you think about that? How can they believe if they never heard of Jesus? That's what what Paul writes here in in Romans uh, chapter 10. How can they believe if they never heard? And how can they hear unless someone tells them? So uh, this, like the New Testament, all of it, pretty much, written in Greek. And the Greek word that we translate as the, the one who tells is keruso. And Caruso, it, you know, it translates as the one who preaches. But this is not about a vocational profession, like being a professional preacher. This is about a verbal profession that Jesus is Lord. When he says the Caruso, it's the one who verbally says forth their lifestyle and their mouth, Jesus is Lord. Jesus loves you. And then he says, how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? Now, the Greek word that translates as sent is the word apostello. Which is where we get the word apostle. The apostle means sent. So he says, how can anyone go tell others about Jesus and about the love of Christ, the love of God, without being apostello, without being sent? It means, the word means literally to be an official representative of a higher power and to speak with that authority. Like, I'm here to represent Jesus Christ, and I speak with his authority. And when I speak with authority, it's not to put you down or tell you you're going to hell or, or to tell you you're such a sinner. It's to tell you that Jesus loves you. He gave me the authority to come and tell you he loves you, and he wants to have a relationship with you, and he wants to give you hope, and he wants to give you joy, and he wants to, he wants to walk with you, and he wants to help. He wants to direct your path in such a way that you find the hope and joy of, of the life that he has for you. That's the authority. It means it means that you are sent one. You and I are sent ones. It's not just the, the pastor's job, the preacher's job. It's our job, your job and mine, follower of Christ. We're the sent ones. It means you're on a mission, but it means you are the mission. You are the you are the mission. You don't just you don't just own the mission. The mission owns you. You have the authority to take this message to the world. You are the message. So then Paul quotes Isaiah 52, 7, and he says, How beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. Man, I want to have beautiful feet. I pray you do too. How beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. This means that when we deliver this message, it's a beautiful thing. It's like sight for sore eyes. It's like a cool drink of water on a hot afternoon. And in Louisiana right now in July, we know what it's like to have a hot afternoon and need a cool drink of water. He said it's like a breath of fresh air. It's all like that first morning, like your, your head's been stuffy for a week full of gunk. And that first morning you wake up and it's cleared out. And you have that, ah. That's what he's like. That's what it is. When the community comes in contact with us, Christians, we should be the ah. <clears throat> so Matthew twenty-eight eighteen, Jesus came, told his disciples, 
I have been given complete authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, all people groups, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all my commands I've given you. What are those commands? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. And be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We call this the Great Commission. It's, we are commissioned by Jesus to go for him. But as also we are on a co-mission with Jesus to go and make disciples. So what's our next step? I would say for most of us, our next step is something we haven't done in a while, if we've ever done it at all. And that is to share your faith. Share your faith. How, how do we do that? And we say, you know, a lot of people, we don't, we don't share our faith because nobody ever told us how. Well, here, let me show you how real quick. Three simple questions, three simple steps, and they all are about asking. Ask spiritual questions. Well, oh, wait, wait, I don't know how to ask spiritual questions. Yeah, you do. Just ask, you know, so, do you ever think about spiritual things? Do you ever think about God? Like, what do you think about God? Do you believe in God? Do you believe there's life after death? These are spiritual questions. Do you believe there's something more than what we see? And whether they say yes or no, you, you, you ask the question to listen. Not to debate, not to argue, not to counterpoint, but just to listen. That's how it starts. You share your faith by, by, by just listening. And then ask to share your story. After you listen, and don't share your story to debate or to counterpoint them, but just to, just to not even make a presentation, just to tell your story. Okay, great. I, I hear you. what you're saying about, about God or the afterlife or about, about faith or about church, and, and I get it. Can, you, can, I tell you, can I tell you how I feel about it? Not to debate or argue, but just to kind of share my story, and then just tell them simply who Jesus is to you. And then the third ask is maybe harder, and it's, it's to ask if you'd like to study together. And maybe you're at the point where, you know what, so now what? I'm a disciple. But to be a disciple means to make disciples. And you make disciples by, yes, studying together, but you make disciples by just walking to the walk together, by serving together, by just doing life together. I know, I know a lot of people don't like that phrase, doing life together, but that's how disciples are made. Maybe you invite them to church. Invite them to join the, the live stream or listen to the podcast. But you ask. So ask spiritual questions. Listen. Don't debate. Ask to share your story. And ask if they'd like to study together. Lord, thank you so much for extending an invitation to us. Not just for this moment, for this sermon. But Lord, to have a relationship with you. To, to live our lives with you. To, 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 to walk with you. And thank you, Lord, that you walk with us through everything that we walk through. You're walking through it with us. And so, Lord, we pray that this wouldn't just be something that we appreciate and we worship you for, but, Lord, that we, that we love our neighbor enough to share it with them, that this is for everyone, this kind of relationship, this kind of walk, this kind of hope, this kind of joy. It's, could be, it's theirs for the taking, and it's, it's there. Jesus has already done it. All you have to do is take it and accept it. So, Lord, we pray for opportunities, that, that we would have opportunities, Lord, to share our story, to build relationships, to show this love to a world that needs this love. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you for listening to the Awaken Natchitoches podcast. It's our hope that you have been encouraged by today's message. Find out more about Awaken Church at awakenla.church or find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Awaken Church LA.